My name is Yvette. My husband Ramon and I are the student ministry coordinators here at the South Suburban Vineyard Church. And um, I just want to say I'm thankful to be here in person with us today. This is like a big deal, right? And the crowd is getting fuller. Like I'm starting to see more faces in the audience, which is awesome. Um, but we do want to give a special welcome to anyone who's listening and watching us online or if you're listening later on through a podcast. No matter how you're watching us, we just want to say that you're welcome and we're glad that you're here. Okay, well, I want to um, just acknowledge I'm wearing my little yellow bracelet this morning. Some of you know what this signifies. I see some other bracelets in the audience. Um, this is uh, my friend, my little friend Joy is fighting a battle right now. And I'm preaching a sermon today on fighting. So I thought for inspiration, I'll go ahead and wear Joy's bracelet. Um, so that's what that's about. Well, never in a million years would I have believed you if you told me that I would be preaching a sermon on fighting. Because that's just not really my style, right? I'm not a fighter. I'm a smiler. I'm a hugger. Um, but don't get me wrong. I have had opportunities in my life to have fights. Um, I know that like when I was a kid, my cousins and I would sit around and we would watch the WWF wrestling moves, you know? They would practice the moves, I would just watch them. <laughs> so that wasn't really my thing, I wasn't into boxing, anything like that. Um, and some of you might say, that doesn't surprise me at all, right? That seems pretty characteristic. But I can tell you a couple stories this morning of times that I have engaged in a fight, um, particularly as a kid, so that's why this is even more significant, because we need to learn to fight like kids sometimes. All right, so um, one specific time when I was a kid, um, there was this other kid making fun of a friend of mine. And it wasn't anything too extreme, it was just something basic like, my friend's name was Bill, and this kid would call him Bile, right? It's like, that's not his name, like, wh what are you talking about? But I could tell that it was not done in like an, as an accident, it was totally done maliciously. Um, this was maybe like second grade, my memory's a little bit fuzzy, but I distinctly remember chasing this kid down the hallway, cornering him like on a stage like this, deep in the corner where he couldn't get away. And I got in his face and I said, listen, his name is not Bile, it's Bill. And as I said that, I smacked the kid across the face. Right? I did that. <laughs> and that is very uncharacteristic of me. Like, I don't know if the teacher ever found out or not, but that's totally not something I would do. Listening kids, please don't do these things. <laughs> if you're listening to me today, my kids are right here in the front row. Don't do that, okay? Um, but there was just something about the fact that he continuously misused my friend's name. I just couldn't take it anymore, and I felt like, you need to be put in your place. Um, the second instance I can remember is when I was in first grade. This I do distinctly remember. It was first grade. Um, there was a bully who was, she lived in my neighborhood, and she was also in my class. And we lived really close to the school, so it was like a really quick little walk. So we were walking home from school one day, and um, she just kept taunting and pressing in, and I could tell that this was gonna end up in a fight. So as I'm trying to ignore her and kind of think about like, how do I just pretend this isn't happening, it dawned on me, you're gonna have to deal with this. Like, this is not something you can just brush away. Um, so I continued to walk and ignore her, but she kept pressing, and I said, all right, now's the time. And so I turned around, <laughs> I took my backpack, I just threw it off to the ground, like real dramatic, just to make sure that she understood I meant business. Um, and I got really close to her, like nose to nose close, you know what I mean, like that uncomfortable kind of close. And I just leaned in and I said, listen, 
If we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it right now. Right? I said that, I did. Um, and so, thankfully, I was totally bluffing, right? I was posturing. I was putting myself in a position to say, you know, I hope you believe me. <laughs> thankfully, she did. We did not fight that day. Um, we didn't fight any day, actually. But the next day in school, she actually treated me like I was her best friend, like scooped me into this friend group. And I'm like, we're not friends. Like, I don't even understand what this is about. But I'm sure I put a little bit of fear in her that day. Um, I'm still shocked even now that that worked. Um, so all that just to say, I can get pretty fierce when it comes to standing up for people and for myself. Like if it's something that matters to me, if it's significant, or if it's something I hold dear that I feel is being threatened, that's when the spirit of the fight kicks in for me, okay? So in a lot of ways, I can actually relate to the story of Samson in the Bible. You guys have heard of Samson, most, most likely, right? Probably you know Samson and Delilah, right? Their names kind of go synonymously together, Samson and Delilah. Um, they have a story that we often don't forget. It's the story of love and betrayal and deception, kind of a love gone wrong, right? But there's so much more to the storyline of Samson than his broken love affair with Delilah. See, he was a warrior and a judge in Israel, and he was a feared conqueror among the Philistine enemies of, of Israel. So his story goes so much deeper because he fought and conquered even until the day that he died. In fact, just before the battle that led to his death, Samson actually had this strength-crushing blow where he just was taken out physically and he was bound up in a way that he really shouldn't have been able to recover from. So it's a very interesting bounce back story that we find in Samson because his bounce back was so great that even his last battle after being weakened, he actually killed more people at that moment than he did all of his life when he was at his strongest, right? So it's really interesting. Um, and he literally fought to the death. I mean, I'm serious when I say he died during that last battle. Um, so his greatest victory happened at that moment. I mean, it's like a saga, right? It's like a movie, like the great saga of Samson. Like, we could watch this movie and be totally intrigued. So I thought this was an excellent setting for the particular sermon series that we're in, which is called The Great Bounce Back. We started this series two weeks ago. Um, the pastors, Gino and Shannon, I like to say it like that, the pastors, Gino and Shannon, they actually started us off in this series. Week one, Pastor Gino talked about the prodigal son and his need to bounce back to his father after making unwise decisions that would lead to his own demise. Um, in week two, Pastor Shannon addressed the bounce back experience of a little girl who physically died and then physically received life again. Like what an incredible way to bounce back. And she talked about how the Lord calls us all to get up when everything else seems lost, okay? So today, I'm gonna to continue with this same series, The Great Bounce Back, and we're gonna look into the book of Judges to study Samson's life and his bounce back story a little bit more closely. So I invite you to grab your Bibles if you have them. Um, if not, you can certainly watch the projected words on the screen, we'll have it there. Um, online, you guys can also do the same thing. If you have an electronic version of the Bible, that's fine, you can do that. And before we jump in, we're gonna go ahead and just pray. 
So Lord God, I just thank you that the springtime follows the winter. And as we're here this morning, we recognize that we're at the beginning of the spring of 2021. Lord, we have hope for the newness and the beauty that you're bringing. And we just acknowledge you, Jesus, in this moment that you've provided for us the ability to brush off the things that have knocked us down. So we ask that you would come, Holy Spirit. Would you prepare our hearts and our minds for what you have for us today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we'll talk a little bit about the background um, of Judges. Judges is an interesting book. Specifically, Samson's story is found in four chapters of Judges. It's chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. And I know some of you, I'm looking at you, Alicia, like homework. So your homework can be that you can read those four chapters on your own. Um, We're not going to read them all, thankfully, but we will read a chunk um, just to specifically highlight some things about Samson's story. But as you do your homework this week, I want you to be thinking about the history of what God was doing with his people at that particular moment in history, right? So in Judges, we're looking at God using leaders or judges to deliver his people from their enemy, okay? So Samson specifically is appointed as one of those leaders. And I wanna point out that there's a familiar pattern that we can see through throughout Judges um, that repeats itself with different prominent leaders. So the New International Biblical Commentary puts it like this. The pattern usually goes like this. Israel did something that was evil in the sight of the Lord. God punished, God allowed oppression to come upon them. Israel cried out for several years to be freed from that oppression. The Lord raised up a judge to deliver them and then the land had peace for X amount of years, okay? Rinse, repeat, like the same pattern would continue throughout Judges. So we have evil in the sight of the Lord, oppression comes, cry out for help, God raises up a judge, and then there was peace. So a lot of those elements, we do see them in the story of Samson, but they look a bit different, okay? He's not your typical biblical hero, um, especially one that we would see in a storyline like this. So as we review Samson's story, I'm going to highlight three noteworthy moments in his life. Those three are his consecration, his entanglements, and his empowerment. Okay, consecration, entanglements, and empowerments. Um, And so when we enter into this story, Israel had just been given into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years, and we are listening in on the preconception story. So before Samson was even conceived is where we kind of enter into this story. God sent an angel to the people that would become Samson's parents. And he instructed them that Samson was going to be a Nazarite. That just means someone who is specially set aside, vowed to God for a particular purpose. Okay? So along with those instructions, um, Samson's soon-to-be mom was instructed during her pregnancy pregnancy, she was not to eat anything unclean, she was not to drink any wine or any strong drink, okay? Specifically, um, in Judges 13.5, more information was given about what they should do as they were raising Samson. That verse says that no razor shall come upon his head. So basically, this kid gets no haircuts, like for his entire life, no haircuts. Um, And he was to be a Nazarite to God from the womb, 
and he would begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Okay, so these are the instructions that were given. Samson was to be a Nazarite, set aside, vowed to God in service to him, and he had strict consecration orders as to how to live that out, as well as his parents had orders as to how to help him live that out. Okay, this is all from before he was conceived. All right, so the second thing is that Samson entangled himself early on with his enemy. Like the Philistines were at that point ruling over the Israelite people, God's people. And Samson decided to connect himself relationally in intimate ways with the Philistines. So um, a a daughter of the Philistines caught his eye and she became his wife. But through a series of events, Samson loses her and then he gets entangled with other romantic relationships that further expose him to all the deception and trickery and the temptation to share critical secrets to the enemy, right? So all of those things are happening in these relationships that he's entangled with, all right? Third thing, he's empowered as a strong warrior by the Holy Spirit. So it's really important to note that he was a fighter all his life. However, that fight spirit um, was, was his, even though it was his, the empowerment to actually be successful came from the Lord. There are several verses throughout those four chapters that you all are going to read for homework that say the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And that typically happened right before he had some scuffle or some altercation with the enemy. All right, so let's review. We've talked about Samson. He's consecrated. He's vowed to God from conception as a Nazarite. He's highly entangled in all these romantic relationships with the enemy. And the spirit of the Lord seems to continually empower him for the battles that he's fighting, okay? He's well known among his enemies as a conqueror, like they see him as someone to beat. So already, if you're tracking with me, you can see this is not your typical biblical hero story, right? I mean, this guy is like wrapped up in all this stuff that's eventually going to tank him. It's going to take him out. And how can you lead God's people in a position like that? But still, God continued to use Samson throughout this entire, his entire life. So now that we have some background laid out, we're going to jump into the scripture. Our main passage is coming from Judges chapter 16, verses 15 through 30. And we're going to pick up the story where he's now in relationship with a woman named Delilah, right? A name that we're pretty familiar with, goes hand in hand with Samson. And she's a woman from the Valley of Sorek who actually made a deal with the Philistines that in exchange for 1,100 pieces of silver, she was going to seduce him, find out his strength, and turn him over so that he could be bound up and humbled before the Philistines, okay? So she's making several attempts to do this in cahoots with the Philistines, and she continues to trick him. He's never um, given the secret until this moment. So this is where we enter into the story. All right, so read with me or just listen. All right, verse 15, and she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart, and he said, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, 
then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, meaning Samson. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke up from his sleep and said, I'll go out just like other times, shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Like, I really feel that, that moment, you know? Like, he didn't know that God had left him. I mean, that's like, that's serious. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So now we're reading about the death of Samson, verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice, and they said, our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. Uh Uh-oh, that sounds like a setup, right? Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and the roof And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Okay? Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me this once more, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars of the house that it rested on, and he leaned his weight against them his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Okay. That's a lot, right? There's so much in that story. We're seeing that Delilah has finally become successful in her trickery to get the secret that she was looking for. She finally gets him to tell her. We're seeing that she rats him out to the Philistines, just like she said she would. Okay, she got paid her money. They came up, poked his eyes out, both of them, bound him up, and they made a fool out of him as they were drinking and partying to celebrate their success. I mean, I told you, it's like a good book, right? It's like a saga, a movie saga. But it's a really sad conclusion because Samson had lived so victoriously up until this point, and now he has no eyesight, he's physically weakened, and no doubt he's feeling highly defeated. 
So some specific things to note um, from those readings, from those verses. Verse 16 talks about how Samson experienced this soul-vexing torment, and that that was, a bit, was based on the continued pursuit of Delilah trying to get his secret. See, the poor company that Samson was keeping finally caught up with him, and he eventually told her all his heart. He told her his secrets, and those things ultimately led to his defeat. Verse 20 talks, or sorry, verse 19 talks about how strength left him, okay, which is synonymous for the Lord left him. And these personal connections that he had with the enemy all his life, he ended up alone. It's interesting because he pursued these relationships for so long, but he still ended up alone in the end. The Lord had left him, his strength had left him, and he dies in battle by himself. And I think maybe the worst part of that is in verse 20 where it talks about he wasn't even aware that the Lord had left him. Like, I just feel that part so much. Um, verse 28 talks about how Samson finally does call out to God for strength. He's been fighting all his life, but this is the first time we see it noted that he specifically calls out for the strength to fight. Um, his hair had started to grow for a bit after it was shaved off, so I think of that as like a symbolic kind of the favor is coming back to him, right, after the Lord left. So like this hair is growing back and he's coming back into strength a little bit. So Samson, we see him employing a strategy to set himself up for this one last fight. I mean, it seems strategic to me. Like he's like, oh, just kind of rest my hand. Do you mind if I put my hand on these pillars? You know, like it's kind of a wise move on his part, specifically because right after that, he's asking God for the strength to take them out. So it seems like he's lined, it, lined this up finally at this part of his life. So um, what can we take away from a story like this? When we think about Samson's story, there's a lot going on. And there's three main ideas that I want to talk to you about, and I'm going to ask you in the form of questions. So first question is, have you acknowledged and embraced the consecration call on your life? Okay, have you acknowledged and embraced this consecration call that God has put on your life. We have to remember that we're called to be consecrated as followers of Jesus. So if you follow Jesus, there is a sense of a consecration or a setting apart for the work that God wants you to do. I really believe that there's a setting apart for you even if you don't yet follow Jesus. Like God still has a path for you and a plan for you. So that consecration is something that we all are dealing with. You don't have to have um, the orders to be a Nazarite specifically in order to be consecrated and set aside for God's purposes. So this applies to all of us, and we have to figure out how to embrace that calling and how to walk in it. So for me, growing up, it meant not doing some of the things that the other kids did. You know, I've been following Jesus for a long time since I was little, but for you, maybe you came to Christ when you were an adult, and it meant changing some of your choices and some of your decisions to make sure that you were lined up with the directions of God. For Samson, it meant he was consecrated and set aside before he was even conceived. Like, there was instruction for him even that early on in his life. But all of it, no matter what point you come into this place, it's all about being on mission for God. It's the mission that God has given us that we have to embrace and walk in. So when we're living a life on mission, we have to be set aside, we have to be consecrated, there is a greater purpose, and there's a lot of sacrifice that's required. Like, you're gonna end up standing out in some way from the masses, 
Okay, you probably have already experienced this if you've been in this journey for even a little bit. Um, and it's likely gonna be something that's uncomfortable and it's gonna challenge you and your life won't feel as easy as it could have been because you're trying to walk this narrow, consecrated call. It might not look how you want it to. And I want you to think about if you're looking back on your life, you probably see some traces of where you've had to fight or you've maybe even been resisting this calling. Um, the Lord knew what he was doing. Like I think about it as we talk about um, at SSV, staying in your lane, right? But then I thought, well, lanes are kind of like the same. If you're running track, it's like the same size. So I was like, what's a better analogy? I'm like, you know what? How about this? What if God gives you a vehicle and your vehicle is a mini coupe? It's a little tiny vehicle, right? But somebody else, he gives a party bus, right? Like you both get vehicles, you're called to something, but you only have so much space in each of those vehicles. So you've got to figure out how do I work with what I've been given? My consecration is specific, right? My vehicle is specific. The party bus can have food trays and all kind of stuff. I can have a little water, maybe about this size, in my mini coupe. But that's okay, because it's my lane, right? It's where I need to be. So you have to ask yourself, what is God asking of you that he may not be asking of other people? Like that whole thing of comparison, it just doesn't work out in this case. Our journey is specific, and we have to embrace it, whatever that looks like for the kingdom. So have you embraced it? Have you acknowledged what your consecration call is? Second question I want to ask you is, do you have a strategic plan to handle your weakness or your tendencies to entangle? Now, I want to say that um, entangle just sounds like a, a weird word, <laughs> especially when I talk about Samson and how he entangled himself with the enemy. But it doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? Entanglement is not bad in and of itself. Right now, we're thinking about the isolation that happened to us all back in 2020, right? So we had this significant thing happen where we, we were living in isolation. And I'm sure a lot of us, before that happened, we were like, I would be fine living in isolation. I'm just okay without all the people in my face, right? Some of you don't relate to that, I get it, right? There's extroverts, <laughs> there's extroverts right here in our room and online. But some of us do get that, okay? Deep in our soul, some of us understand that statement. But the reality is, as human beings, we were not made for isolation. And I think that a lot of us realize that once we got into 2020. We were like, hmm, this is kind of nice for a minute, but I really want to get back to like life and relationships. So that confirmation came to us in really clear ways. Because the reality is, Samson played with fire when he messed around in all these relationships that would basically take him out in the end. He was entangled. He didn't have a plan for the weakness, like human beings need to have relationship, but he had no plan for how to make that strong, how to make that really work for him. And he really seemed oblivious to the impact of his actions and his decisions and his words as he was giving his trust over to people that were not worthy of his trust. All of those things weakened him. Okay, they brought him to a weakened state. 
And I start to think, like, was it pride that made him think he could do whatever he wanted to do and still wake up and win all the battles, kind of shake it off and keep going? Was it a lack of awareness? Like, did he not realize that he was overextending himself in these relationships, being a little bit too attached to comfort? It seems like he should have had a heightened sense of, of vigilance, right, in the role that he was in. He was a Nazarite conqueror. He was like a leader, a ruler of Israel. Like, you need to be vigilant in that state. But whatever we can speculate about the meaning behind his movements, it, it doesn't really matter because what matters is that eventually Samson became aware of his weakness and he had to find a strategy to overcome it. Okay, so that happened at the end. Throughout his life, though, he engaged in a lot of risky behavior, and all those risky behaviors basically shows that he thought he was living in a mini coop, or actually he was living in a mini coop, but he thought he was in the party bus, right? He's like, I got this. It's fine. I don't really need anything else. Um, he didn't strategize for those shortcomings, and God had to relinquish that control at the end. So you and I have the same thing going on, right? We've got to employ wisdom. We've got to avoid those entanglements with the enemy or the things that are going to take us out. We can't end up weakened in the fight, okay? But that's something that can happen if we make those bad choices. It's a strategic move when you anticipate your own tendencies about the weaknesses that could take you out and you move towards the community that can help you. So I know that resilience is a thing that we've learned about a lot. And I just want to say that resilience needs to be found in community. It's not something we can do by ourselves, right? Resilience, bounce back, all of that happens in community. And your consecrated life does not mean that you have to live alone. That's not what it's about, okay? Your consecrated life simply means that you have to take care in how you build a strategy to meet the needs of your physical human person. Our weakness is gonna be amplified in all the bad choices and the bad company that we keep. It's gonna be bigger, it's gonna be on display. But the strength that we find is in the community that we form, right? So weakness comes with those bad choices and bad company. The strength is found in the community with followers of, followers of Christ. Um, so I ask you again, do you have a plan for your weakness? Do you have a plan to strategize for that? Third question I want to ask today is, have you tapped into the true source of your power? Have you tapped into the true source of your power? And just to be clear, that's the Holy Spirit, right? So I'm not talking about all the strengths that you have, your best qualities, the things that your second grade teacher said you're awesome at, you're going to really excel in this area. I'm not talking about the things that you might think of when you think about what's the energy and the source behind my, my fight. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. He is the true source of our power, and we have to tap in. It took Samson a while to finally tap in. Like, he was living his life pretty successfully, but he didn't realize this whole time, Holy Spirit is rushing upon him. Like, those words are there for our benefit. I don't think he got it until the end. Finally, he acknowledged, the Holy Spirit is where my power source is. So in his final words, Samson shows us a story of humility where he's acknowledging that Holy Spirit has been fueling his victories. And when the Lord rushes upon him, it's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, same Holy Spirit that raised Lazarus from the dead, same Holy Spirit that Shannon talked to us about that raised that little girl 
and brought warm life back into her body. That's the Holy Spirit power that Samson's tapping into, okay? That's what we are called to tap into. That's the reality of our true power source. So when you have this kind of power and you don't tap into it, that seems careless to say the least, right? Risky if you have any kind of leadership where you need to lead something. And I'm talking like lead your life kind of leadership. You don't have to have like any kind of big powerful position. You need to lead your life. In order to lead that well, you need to tap into the true source of your power. So I wanna speak for a moment to those of you who relate to Samson the Conqueror. Maybe you think, you know, I feel pretty, pretty tough. I'm like that strong person. I don't tend to be the one who's stomped down. Um, if you are in that category, I wanna ask you, when people say to you, how do you do it? Like, how do you just, how are you so successful? How do you kind of handle all the things you do? Do you say to them, well, the Holy Spirit empowers me? Is that like a response that you give? Probably not, right? Um, but you might say things like, oh, it's just what I do. Um, you might give them a thumbs up and a quick smile and say, thank you, and just kind of say nothing to acknowledge that there's really a true power source behind your victory. Maybe you're not even aware. Like, you could be like Samson, and you weren't even thinking about that. Like, oh, the Holy Spirit actually helps me do every single thing I do successfully. But I want to say, I personally fall into that category. At times, I think that people say, you're so strong. And I'm like, I'm not that strong. Or they say, you're so good at stuff. I'm like, I'm not that good at stuff. Like, it's not me. It's never me. It's always the Holy Spirit who empowers me. Remember, I said I really relate to this consecrated life. Like, from the beginning, there's a purpose to my life. And I acknowledge that this is where um, the Lord is, what the Lord is doing in my life. I can't take credit. And I think about how often do I delete my direct acknowledgement to God for the things that he's doing in my life. And it may not be intentional, right? Maybe you just don't want to create awkwardness. You don't want to walk around saying things like, Holy Spirit empowered me. Holy Spirit empowered me. You know, I mean, maybe that's what it is. And you're like, well, how do I even make that work? And I think we need to learn how to not so much say it, but pray it, right? If we're praying, Holy Spirit empower me throughout our lives, chances are, what comes out of your mouth is going to be something that acknowledges that it's not about you in like a non-awkward way. So we really need to kind of embrace this and embody it inwardly so that outwardly we're giving credit where credit is due. We have to be conscious, we have to be awake, we have to be aware to how important the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And that's both in the weakness when he comes to save us, but also when we're looking pretty successful right? He's still active and present in our lives, no matter how much it looks like it's coming from us. So again, I ask you, have you tapped in to your true power source? Are you tapping in? All right, so how do you specifically compare yourself to Samson in your life? Whether or not you think, I'm a lot like this guy, or if you think, you know, I'm usually the person who's kind of being stomped on, so I don't really relate. Either way, we all have to fight. There's fights in our life that we have to engage. We all have bullies, like I did in second grade and first grade. 
And they're gonna take different shapes and forms. We all have our unique motivation as to why we engage in any specific fight. So this is, again, applicable to all of our lives. We need to think about what does our fight actually look like? How do we materialize the words that I'm saying? Like, what does a fight look like for me? Have you guys ever thought about, um, maybe I'm fighting the wrong enemy, or maybe this isn't really my best fight that I'm giving. Maybe there's more that I can do to engage whatever fight that I have. What are the driving motivations for you behind when you put your boxing gloves on, right? For me, I told you, it has to do with you're offending me, you're offending the people. I don't dig that. Like, I'm ready to fight for that. Maybe for you there's a different motivation, but you have to figure it out, right? You gotta figure out what is it, what does my fight actually look like? And when am I in need of a bounce back? Over your life, if you kind of think back, Samson had a reason to need a bounce back. He was physically weakened. Um, he ended up betrayed by the people who were closest to him. So what are the moments that you felt like you've needed a bounce back? I want you to think about that, like, like honest for real in this moment, actually think about it. And if you're listening online, if you're watching us, um, go ahead and just type in the chat. Like of the three words that I mentioned that stand out from Samson's life, consecrated, entangled, and empowered, which of those three words do you feel most connected to? Like I've seen this in my life over and over. There's kind of a pattern of this consecration where I'm trying to live something that I'm not really called to or this pattern of entanglement where I'm getting messed up with my enemies and I need to like chill with relationships or this pattern of empowerment where I feel like I have no strength to do this, but the Holy Spirit seems to be using me. Right? So just type one of those words, consecrated, entangled, empower, empowered. Which of those relates most to you? I can tell you that I've experienced all three, but if I had to choose one, I would say I relate the most to the consecration word. Um, I've had a sense of purpose throughout my life from the very beginning. You know, my, my mom was praying for me, reading the Bible to me when I was in her womb. Like, it's kind of some, of, some similarities of Samson's, like, this was a, a, sought, or a waited for pregnancy, and so finally, she's here. And so it was a big deal to my mom to make sure that I was set aside for God's purposes. Um, but I know that I've also stumbled in my entanglements, and I've needed the Lord to give me some strategic direction so that I didn't end up in a weakened state based on my own bad choices, right? And I've also had those moments where I've had Holy Spirit empowerment, where it's like, you know, in the Bible where it talks about Peter, God rushed on him and gave him words to speak, and many came to Christ. Like, those kind of moments, or like when the Holy Spirit rushed on Samson and he won battles, he won his fights. I've had that too. And I'm not just talking about, like, you know, moments like this where I'm speaking in front of a group or singing on the stage or doing prophetic ministry. Like, this happens all the time when I'm explaining a concept of communication to my students, or if I'm counseling a newly married couple that's, that are friends of mine, or if I'm walking someone through grief and suffering when tragedy hits. Like, these are things that none of this stuff I can do on my own. I mean, if we break it down, we can't walk by ourselves, right? Like, you can't breathe if God says it's no longer time for you to be breathing, then you're done, right? So I can't do any of that stuff on my own. You can't do any of the stuff that's going through your mind right now. You can't do it by yourself. Let me just tell you, you can't. If you think, I got that. No, you don't. Okay? It's not, it's not how it works. 
So we have to remember that even in the story of Samson, he looked like a good fighter by your everyday standards, right? I mean, I imagine that he probably struck people as someone who would be a fighter. But the true battle was in his connection to the Holy Spirit. Um, and, I, and I just want to use this example because I know it would relate to some of you in the room. As a singer, I have a little froggy that lives in my throat a lot. Like, we like to say that Kermit came to visit right when you're about to sing, so you're just kind of like coughing and clearing your throat. Um, that might happen to you as a speaker in any kind of capacity that you're talking, you feel like you need to do that. Guess what? I can't sing a lick on my own. Doesn't matter. I can't speak well on my own. I can't do anything noteworthy and worthwhile for the kingdom on my own. All of that is powered by the Holy Spirit. That's the effectiveness of his work in our lives. We tap in and he gives us the strength to do what we need to do. I wanna make sure that I'm not silencing the glory of God, right? I don't wanna take it away. Even if it's because I'm being quiet, or if it's because I'm being prideful and saying, oh, I got this, or yeah, I did that. I don't want to take away God's glory in any way. I don't even want to attempt to be close to that. And I think that what we need to realize is that we say yes to God inwardly, but what we live out needs to also say yes to God, okay? We need to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit has called us and empowers us outwardly not just in the silent moments when you're praying and you're like, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want, but also when you actually do that thing and you're successful. You gotta acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is the reason for your success. So again, there's no need to say it, but you do need to pray it, okay? Because the more you're praying, Holy Spirit, empower me. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Holy Spirit, give me victory. Help me do the thing I need to do. The more your life is gonna show that. All right, so worship team, you guys can come. I'm glad I didn't forget to call you guys up. Um, one thing that's really important to note is that a bounce back like this, it's not the same story for God, right? God doesn't need to bounce back, okay? I, I just wanna acknowledge that God doesn't get knocked down. He's always in charge. He's always in control. He always wins, right? So God is not the one who's at stake here. We're looking at a human being, the life of Samson, which we can all relate to. We need bounce back in our lives. We are susceptible to being knocked down, okay? In our journey, every fight that we have, there's the possibility of us being knocked down. And we really need to continue to understand what is fueling our journey and what our specific consecrated call is. So that's driving our need to be in a bounce back position. We don't want to go down alone in battle like Samson did. We definitely want to have some recognition of the power that is sourcing our fights and tap into it. And we don't want to take for granted all that God is doing for us. So we can really benefit from listening to a bounce back story like Samson's and learn how to walk this thing out in community. And I'll say again that bounce back requires resilience, okay? It's not the kind of thing that you can do by yourself. So our community, um, fellow believers, the people that really are trustworthy in your life, those are the ones you wanna have surrounding you. You wanna make your company be good and strong. You want these people to be folks that will help you tap into your power as opposed to weaken you on your journey. 
Okay, so that's a really important piece of the bounce back, is that we be resilient in community together. Because we've got to pursue Jesus every moment, okay? Every moment. Even we say it's a daily walk, but it's actually a moment-by-moment thing. You know, throughout your day, you're going to have many moments where there's going to be challenges, and you've got to figure out, what is this fight? What is the fight that I'm engaged in? I want you to really think about, have you identified that fight? What are the battles that God has called you to in your specific consecrated life? Where are you in need of those bounce backs? And I just want to say, if you've been listening to me today and you're wondering how all this applies to you, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're like, so does that just discount me? No, it doesn't. One, because God had a plan for you before you were born. And two, because you can meet him today, right now. So I just want to say that we have prayer rooms that are available after the service. They are here. We'll be praying in some capacity and also online. We've got a Zoom prayer room. Um, And I just encourage you to step into that place and just really get to a point where you can experience this power that I'm talking about for yourself. Because right now, it's just, I'm just talking to you. But if you can experience this, it will change your life. Um, So even as we enter into worship, I'm praying that we would continue to push in towards Jesus and learn what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I want to leave you all with a challenge today. I want you to embrace your consecration call, okay? Live your Mini Cooper life. (laughs) I want you to avoid risky entanglements and form the community that's going to help keep you strong. I want you to strategize for your weakness and be wise in battle. And I want you to tap into the power that the Holy Spirit has already provided for you, okay? So may each of us fight like warriors for Jesus, okay? Can you, do you embrace that? We wanna do that. We wanna fight like warriors for Jesus. He has called us into battle. And if you find yourself in need of a bounce back, then I pray that you bounce back like Samson did in style that you call on the name of the Lord and you employ that strategy and you take out more in that moment than you ever had before. Amen? Amen. All right, so let me pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for joining us in this life. Thank you for empowering the work of our hands for all the kingdom purposes that you've made for us. We're just so thankful that you've consecrated us and that you've laid out a journey for us that's specific and unique. God, I also just thank you for how you gently humble us when we get a little bit too high. And I just thank you, God, that you are attentive to our needs and to the fights that we have. So we pray that you would give us attentiveness to your voice and the wisdom that you want to give us in our journey. Please continue to meet with us as we worship you right now. We ask this all in your name, Lord.